a wonderful thing to love him and to know that he loves you and to know that we love him because he first loved us and that he loves us with an everlasting love. That's a wonderful thing. And that leads us into our last part of uh, Psalm 7. And we're entitling that uh, just better. God is better by far than any sin, than anything this world has to offer, than anything man could ever imagine or come up with. Whatever you do and however good it may seem to be, God is better. So let's start reading in Psalm 7, verse, uh, 14 through 17. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. And notice as we read through this terms like brings forth and conception, they're birthing terms. The wicked brings forth or gives birth or delivers iniquity. And yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. There's always a lie somewhere. Verse 15. He made a pit and dug it out. And then what happens to him? Then he has fallen into the ditch which he made. That's got to be frustrating and painful. Verse 16, it gets a little worse. His troubles shall return upon his own head. Talk about reaping what you sow. And his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Crown there is a word for skull, like the crown of your head. Verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I mean, it makes all this statement that we've seen even before in previous verses about sin and about all of the things that are, uh, the Lord hates and his anger toward that. And uh, then it mentions in here that the wicked, they have all kinds of problems. They may not always seem like they do, but if you could see the end from the beginning like God does and you could see what awaits them, both in this life and then after death, you would never envy a wicked person again. You would never look around and say, why does God allow evil? Because you would understand uh, that through all of this, God is bringing glory to himself. He's showing his power. He is showing uh, his plan and unfolding all of that for us. And one of these days, it's all going to make sense. doesn't make much sense right now. I can't quite figure out this world, and I'm sure you can't either. In fact, um, I'd like for you to take just a moment and just kind of talk to the people that are right around you. What are some of the things that when you were younger, maybe when you were in junior high and high school, that people thought were really bad as compared to today? I'm going to make a guess. You probably are seeing and hearing things today you never thought you would experience or never thought would be in the public square. And so talk about how much things have changed and how much worse it's gotten because it has even just recently. Take just a couple of moments and uh, talk to each other about that. that about got it? Are y'all wrapping it up? In other words, uh, wherever you live and whatever generation you live in, there's always sin. There always has been since Adam and Eve, right? And so uh, would you agree with me that sin tends to get worse instead of better? Can I get an amen on that? 
You agree with that? Okay, so we're going to have you all line up, come up here to a microphone, and just confess your very worst sins so we can all see whether things really get worse or not, right? Any takers? Ah, nobody's going to take it. Okay, let's, uh, let, let's stop and think uh, about this kind of thing. There's something there where there is a, I guess in one way we would call it a progressive nature of sin. It moves ahead. It gets worse. Uh, maybe uh, we could also say it's a regressive thing because we don't ever seem to really get better. We seem to go backwards and we seem to get worse. And maybe there are brief times when maybe there's a spiritual awakening, uh, a, a revival or something like that, and things get laid down for a while, but we always seem to kind of look back and pick those things up again. I think every generation to some degree is like Lot's wife. Look back. We look back. We should be looking ahead, looking to the author and finisher of our faith, but we don't. We tend to kind of look back and we remember and we long for those things. And sometimes we laugh about those things, which uh, are really shameful and they uh, dishonor the Lord. But you know how we are as human beings. We, it, it's hard for us to help that. Boy, it's amazing the Lord is patient, not only with this world, but what about just with us? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that includes believers. And that's why we even have to confess our sin. So I want to uh, answer a few questions tonight. And I think we're already kind of on track with the first one that comes up tonight. First question, why does evil grow? You know, we would think, boy, can't anybody see the foolishness of life? And the foolishness of sin, why do we keep going back to it? Why does the dog return to his vomit, Peter said, and the pig return to its mire? Why, why does that happen? Why can't people outthink that? Why can't they be better than that? Okay, well, uh, part of the answer to that is because they're dead in trespasses and sins. And because of that, they have a depraved mind. And even for believers, we have a problem because... God, when he saved me, he may have forgotten about my sin, but I didn't. I can still remember it. And there are those times when I look back and I go, man, that was really fun. Or the enemy comes up and says, remember all that fun you used to have? And if you're not careful, you'll take the bait and you'll go for it. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that's our, King James says, reasonable service. And we could look at that and say, it's only reasonable that we would serve God. But the, uh, the Greek in there is talking about uh, it's only reasonable to do that because that's what we owe the Lord. We are priests unto the Lord and we are to worship him is what that is all about. And then Paul goes on to say, and don't be conformed to this word. Uh, to this world. The word conform means to be put in a mold, the pressure of a mold. Okay? You pour your, you ever have a creepy crawler? Any, am I the only one? You pour the, the goo in there, and then you put the other side on it, and then you put it in the, I think they call that a thing maker, and uh, it would, you know, heat up, and then you come out and scare your sister with it or something like that, right? And uh, that's what it means to be conformed, squeezed pressed, molded to look like what the world wants you to uh, look like. See, this is nothing new. This is going on in the first century with the Apostle Paul and with those believers in 
Rome. He had to warn them about this because the tendency was to let the world squeeze us into its mold and make us like they want us to be. And we get pressure from that all the time. The media, social media, friends, uh, neighbors, family members, whatever it might be, uh, we get this pressure. This is how you ought to think. This is what you ought to be. And we're constantly being told we need to be different, we need to change, and yet we are lashed to an unchanging God and the unchanging Word of God. So you can't change the unchangeable. And that's where we are. And yet the world says, no, you've got to give. You've got to think differently. You've got to budge. You've got to accept. You've got to do. And so we're always under that. So Paul said, we're to be this living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We're not to be squeezed and conformed and molded by the world. But we are to be, here's a word, transformed. Doesn't that sound better? It's a positive word. It's kind of an uplifting word. It's kind of a fun thing to think about being transformed and the Greek word for that is a form of the word metamorphe have you ever heard that word in maybe biology or something whenever you have a metamorphosis metamorphe and so what Paul is saying don't be squeezed and molded by the world but let the nature in you and the Holy Spirit in you come out like a butterfly will come out of his caterpillar suit okay the caterpillar doesn't really change into a butterfly. The butterfly comes out and sheds uh, whatever the caterpillar stuff was so they can come out. It's a metamorphosis. And Paul is saying while you're going in the world, instead of letting the world squeeze you, be so committed to God and serving Him that what is in you through the Holy Spirit of God and your new birth starts coming out, starts coming out of you. Jesus said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Well, he's not just saying try harder and make sure you have some good things to bring out. He would refer us to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let the new nature God has put in you, that new heart that he gave you, let it come out and let it be seen. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so whenever those negative things and those ugly things and those things that don't glorify God come out of us, even if they're acceptable ways, we know when we're not right with God, that is supposed to be a change. I've been in control of my life, Lord. I have not been submitted to you. That's the bottom line. And I want good things to come out of my life by the Holy Spirit. Now, a lost person, an evil person, as we find uh, referred to in this psalm, cannot do that because everything within them is depraved. Everything in them is sinful. Everything in them is selfish. And so for them to try harder, they may restrain it a little bit, but they've always got an ulterior motive, and they're always just waiting for that time when they can let out whatever is in them. And then they'll say something ridiculous like, oh, pardon my French, or something like that. No, they're just revealing what is in them. Okay? And when the psalmist David here uses these terms... They're bringing forth things and they are conceiving things. Those are birthing terms. Why does sin get worse? Same reason the population gets larger generation after generation. Because people are giving birth to children. And usually multiples 
of children. And David says that's the same way that it is with sin. It's never just static. It never just sits there. It always grows. It always moves. It always conquers. It always spreads. And it is giving birth to more sin. It's conceiving inside of, of himself. The lost person is conceiving more sin. And this is why things are worse now than you have ever seen them before because sinners are conceiving sin. They think about it. They uh, uh, conceive it in their minds. How can it be worse? After a while, sin gets boring, doesn't it? And you've got to have something that will give you a bigger thrill. You've got to have something that will be more rebellious. You've got to have something that will be more shocking and more disturbing. And so it never just sits there. It always gets worse. This is why the danger of drug and alcohol abuse for example it never just stops it gets worse and causes more trouble this is why pornography never just stops with just a little bit it always spreads and it always gets worse and worse and worse i heard um bill o'reilly just uh yesterday the day before and he said that since everybody has been legalizing marijuana medically and recreationally in our nation, and since they're not enforcing drug laws, hardly any anymore, he said something that, uh, well, to quote Gomer Pyle, surprise, surprise, surprise. Drug abuse is up 250% among teenagers. Yeah. 250%. Who saw that coming? Man, never saw that. And then he went on to say, and here's what makes it so bad, because there are a lot of people that say, oh, we used to smoke pot. We used to smoke weed. Hey, we, got, we came through it. He said, it is 10 times stronger now than it was when you hippies smoked it in the 60s. What kind of damage is it doing? And he has a 19-year-old son, and he set his son down. He's kind of old to have a 19-year-old, but that's what he has. And he said, here's the deal. Your generation, son, is going to be the most stoned generation in American history. There are all kinds of ways. And the stuff that's coming up over our southern border... Uh, all of that stuff is making it even worse because there's all kinds of stuff out there and some of it is disguised and some people are thinking they're getting a, uh, a prescription drug and actually they're getting something deadly. Okay? He said, this is going to get worse and yet there's a great opportunity for you. That's what he told him. Okay? What's the great opportunity? If you will keep your life free from drugs and alcohol, you are going to stand up and stand out in a world that's zonked out, stoned, and, uh, you know, you're going to be the one that's thinking clearly, thinking uh, sanely, and you're going to have an opportunity to really make it in the world. Now, it's kind of sad that we have a world now that says, if you really want to stand out and be successful, just don't get drunk. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Just don't get stoned and blitzed out of your mind. Just don't do that, and, and that'll put you up uh, uh, above everything. And, and why is it like that? Because evil never sets still. It grows, and it gets worse and worse 
and worse because people are delivering it and they are conceiving it and they're bringing it forth and there's always falsehood in it David said it brings forth falsehood there's always a lie and our culture is believing the lie our young people our teenagers our children they're believing all of the lies and the falsehood about sin they're believing that there's no God they're believing that they are just highly evolved pond scum and they are believing that they can sin and get away with it they're believing that there's no accountability they're believing that the word of God is not true they're believing that church people are just a bunch of old fuddy-duddies and on and on and on we could go that's the way it is now let me read you a few verses of scripture and make some comments on them proverbs 6 16 through 19 says there are six things that the lord hates seven that are an abomination to him well i wonder what they are solomon oh glad you asked a haughty eyes in other words pride a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood listen to this a heart that devises or david might say conceives makes up works out wicked plans feet that make haste to run to evil a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers among families okay can i ask you to do something which one of those does not fit our society today which one of those is not prevalent in our society in our culture and our lives today which one of those and a lot of us, we want to harp at the world and say, they're the problem, and then we point out the different sins, the uh, sexual sins, the perverted sins, and all of that. And yet I find on here that the Lord says the very first thing that is an abomination unto Him is something all of us have done, and that is the sin of pride. See, we're all lumped in this together, and it's out of pride that everything else comes. Where did the transgender movement come from, anyway? Well, somebody conceived it. Well, why did somebody conceive something like that? It's all rooted in pride. All rooted in pride. And God hates the sin of pride. That's why he calls us to be humble, to be living sacrifices, to be conformed not to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, all of that has to happen because we are naturally stuck on ourselves and we naturally think higher, more highly of ourselves than we ought to think and all of these things are in our world today i want you to think about something else what about adam and eve have you ever thought about the fact that adam and eve what they do doesn't seem like a big deal to me all they did was eat a piece of fruit okay what's the big deal about that except that sin was conceived in them because they were rebelling against god did it get worse yeah they ate a piece of fruit in one generation, they had a son that was a murderer of another son. I mean, that's the way sin always is. I heard an evangelist say one time, it's kind of corny, but it gets the point across. Sin thrills, and then it kills. Sin fascinates, and then it assassinates. Now, when are we going to learn that? Because you and I still sin. Apparently, we haven't learned it like we ought to learn it. And we need to l learn and to grow in that area. And we need to quit expecting the world. Hey, you guys, can't you see this? Quit it. Cut it out. What's going on here? They can't. And they constantly are coming out with more sin, new sin, worse sin. And that's the world in which we live. And it's not new. It is always, 
always been that way. When you uh, think about Adam and Eve, not only with Cain and Abel, but a few generations later with Noah, in Genesis 6, 11, and 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it still is, and the earth was filled with violence, and it still is, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and it still is, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, and they still are, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse as time goes on. That's the nature. Sinners reproduce sin. Okay? Sinners reproduce sin in multiples. So that's why things are getting worse instead of better. Number two, here's another question. Well, why does sin never satisfy? I mean, you know, everybody thinks if I could just do this once, if I could just have one of these, if I, I could just have a taste of this, then, then I would be fine. You know, it doesn't work that way. We all know it doesn't work that way. Have you ever tried to diet recently? And while you're on your diet and you have certain things you can't have, you know, um, when I started having my heart problems, there were things I couldn't eat. There were things I didn't care about eating until they said I couldn't, right? And then it was everywhere. And then I felt confined and I can't have anything and I don't want to live the rest of my life like, the, you know, that kind of stuff. Whine, 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 wah, 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 right? And so if you were to uh, decide that, oh, my New Year's revo uh, revolution, resolution is, uh, it would be revolutionary, wouldn't it? I am not going to eat uh, any kind of chocolate. Whether it's a Snickers or a Hershey's Kiss or a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup or a Baby Ruth or... I'm making you hungry, aren't I? And you are not going to do it. That is all of a sudden going to become an issue for you. What you can't have. You focus on it. You obsess with it. You think about it. You'll dream about it. You'll see it everywhere you go. Every commercial will be for something you can't have and all of that. And it's hard to control those kind of things unless you die to self and live to God. Well, think about the lost world. Everywhere they go, they are seeing something that is tempting. And there's always somebody that is willing to be used by the tempter to draw somebody out or to take things to a level they've never been before to make them to be even worse. And that's the world that we live in. And so the world says, kind of like you do with that diet, you know what, I know I'm not supposed to have this, but just a little won't hurt anything. After all, we're to do everything in moderation. Okay? How does that usually turn out? Usually not as well as we would like for it to. Because sometimes that little taste we get of that chocolate or whatever it might be, all it does is hit our appetite and make our appetite go, More! More! And that's what the world does with sin. More. Ah, just a little taste. Just a little dab. Just a little experience here. I'll just do it this one time, is what they say. And they fool themselves. It's a lie. Because that one thing leads to two, and that two leads to four, and that four leads to eight, and that eight leads to 16. That's about as far as I can go. And uh, so that's what happens, and that's what's going on in the world. Things that satisfied the world a generation ago, don't even get this generation's attention. Okay? You've seen old movies where somebody got excited because they saw a girl's ankle. Doesn't excite anybody anymore. Why? We've moved way past that. 
That's the way it always is. We laugh about those things. Isn't that silly? Isn't that silly? But look where it's taken us. And it takes us further and further and further and further and further and further and further. And so that's why sin gets worse. It's like trying to satisfy an appetite by eating that doesn't really satisfy it. Okay? He uh, made a pit and he dug it out. And then he fell into the ditch which he made. Well, that's not very satisfying. I don't know why he was digging the ditch. I don't know what it was for. But I do know this. He never intended to fall into it. And he probably was digging the ditch, digging the pit. Maybe they were in a, a, a dry area. Maybe they, he was digging a cistern. And he thought, you know what? If I can dig something where I can collect rainwater, then I will always have water that I can drink. Oh, it'll be so good. And then he falls into it. And all of a sudden, it's not quite so much fun. And you think about how the world lives. And they want to have the freedom. We want to have our freedom to do whatever we want. Smoke whatever we want. Drink whatever we want. Do whatever we want with anyone we want. Oh, that's what we've got to have for our freedom. And suicide rates are going up and up and up because sin never satisfies. When Adam and Eve were told that... Um, they needed to eat this fruit. I mean, you can't let this fruit go by. Why? God said we can't eat it. Eve was even more strict. She said, we're not to eat it, neither can we touch it. God never said that. You know, legalism won't save you either. Can't even touch it. And then she made the fatal statement in there is, we can't even eat it or touch it. Ready for it? Lest we die. Uh, God never said lest you die you know what lest means don't eat it or you might die god never said that god said in the day you eat it you what you will die yeah just be ready for it in the day you eat you will die the devil goes no no look at that are you kidding would a loving god not want you to eat that would a loving God hold that away from you? Did God really say that? Well, no, you won't die. Because God knows that in the day you eat thereof, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Man, that was just too much for Eve and for Adam, both of them. And so uh, they looked. Oh, man, it looked good. And as they thought about it, it must taste good. And then when they thought about the fact they could actually be as knowledgeable as God, enlightened, we could have this truth, we could know all of these things, we would be wise and able to choose for ourselves instead of having to listen to fuddy-duddy God. And so the Bible says that Eve took the fruit and she bit it and then she gave it to Adam who was with her. So he was eyes wide open. She was deceived. He walked right into it. And what do you suppose the first thing they felt after they ate it? I don't know exactly, but I'm going to make a guess. I'm going to say that probably that first bite was, oh man, this is wonderful. Because the Bible says in Hebrews that sin brings pleasure. How long? For a season. I don't know how long that is. Can you imagine they did that? But can you imagine what happened right after that when they died spiritually? You see, they were a body and their body didn't die. They had a soul. and their soul didn't die. They're still living and breathing, moving and all of that. 
but their connecting link with God cut off. And everything inside of them went dark. They hadn't banked on that. And don't you know that the serpent was laughing at them? And here comes God in the cool of the day. Adam, where are you? Now an all-knowing God knows where they are and what they've done. He wants them to confess it. Fess up, right? Can you imagine how the devil must have been laughing with delight? And then God says, uh, uh, where are you? Well, I'm over here. Why are you over there? Uh, well, um, something happened. You know, life happens, God. I get so tired of hearing stuff like that. Somebody tells you, I got this problem. Can you help me? Well, tell me what happened. Uh, uh, well, you know, life happens. I have no idea what that means. You're going to have to tell me something here. Some people, I had somebody say to me one time, well, I had an affair by accident. So you were walking along perfectly fine, whistling a hymn, and then you tripped over a crack in the sidewalk, and then you found yourself in that uh, very compromising and sinful position. Well, no, not like that. Okay, so let's get real, and you're going to have to tell me what happened, because I can't help you if you're not honest. And people don't like to be honest. Neither did Adam and Eve. Did you eat of the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Well, God already knew. And Adam goes, uh, well, well, sort of. But it wasn't my fault. Wasn't my fault. Whose fault is it? The woman that, by the way, you made. I never asked for her. I, I didn't even know I needed her. Right? When you read in the Bible, it's not good for a man to be alone. Remember, Adam didn't say that because Adam didn't know he was alone. He had no idea what it was like to have a wife or companionship or anything. He didn't know because you can't know what you don't know. It was God who said it's not good. And so Adam's taking advantage of that. You know, after all, you're, you, yeah, you, you did that. And they play the blame game. That's what people do. That's the way the world is. Man, it's hard to get anybody to take accountability for anything, isn't it? Especially in the government. You know, there's always a way out. There's always somebody else to blame. There's always a cover-up and uh, all of this kind of stuff, especially if the media is as complicit as our media is with uh, sinfulness and injustice now. I mean, we all know that. Been that way for a long time. So um, why doesn't sin ever satisfy? Because it's like a pit that you dig, and even though you fool yourself thinking it's going to be for something good, it's going to make life easier, it's going to be really great, you end up falling into the pit that you make. It always, you reap what you sow, in other words. Not karma, that's not Christian, that's reincarnation. But uh, you do reap what you sow, the Bible says. Think about Romans 6.16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And that's what happens. We become slaves to our sin. We think we're just going to, ah, oh, just a little and it'll be okay. And I'll, uh, this will be the last time. Last time. Won't ever do that again. Everything's going to be different from now. How many, how many, uh, Drunks are saying to their wife and to their kids, I'm so sorry that I drank up all the money, but it's going to be different when January. It's going to be different this next time. Yeah, we've, uh, 
We've heard that before, hadn't we? We've heard that before. Well, this is going to be the last time that I ever have anything to do with that woman. I promise. It's, it's over. It's over. It's done. And we've kind of heard that one before. We've kind of heard that before. I promise I'll never look at pornography again. We've kind of heard that before. This is the last time I'm going to smoke dope. Duh, we've heard that before. See? That's what happens. You become a slave to your sin. That's why it doesn't satisfy. Because who is satisfied with slavery? None of us are. None of us are. It's an inherent nature of a human to want to be free. And yet our sin enslaves us. And we uh, thought we were going to get freedom. And then we ended up getting chains, didn't we? We thought we were going to have our way and we ended up being controlled by someone or something else. It just doesn't work out well. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Or, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. King James says his own lusts. Lust means strong desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, well, that sounds like David. He used that word. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. No wonder it doesn't satisfy. You're killing yourself. You're slowly dying, and you're willingly doing it, and even though you know better. I mean, how many times have we said, well, I know I ought not do this, and then what do we end up doing? We do it. I mean, we're crazy. This world is crazy. That's the way we live. And what happens? We end up being slaves, and then we end up with death. So all of this is that falsehood David talked about. Sin deceives by claiming satisfaction that you're going to really like this if you can get it. And again, I refer you back to Genesis 3, verses 4 through 6. The serpent said, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Eve bit when she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to, to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. In other words, sin never blesses you. It always is destructive every single time. So there she is, looking at the tree, lust of the eyes. She says, oh, it's desirable, it looks really good, lust of the flesh. And it'll make me like God and make me wise. That's the boastful pride of life. And that's all that's in the world. The same temptation that you fall for. Same ones that I fall for. Same that this world is falling for. And uh, no wonder we are indeed crazy. Because we do the same things over and over and expect different results, don't we? And yet the devil doesn't have that much in his arsenal. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But we don't use that. We fall for it. Number three. Here's another question. Why does sin destroy, impoverish, and shame people? Why does it do that? We've all seen it. And we've seen the people that couldn't handle their money and misspent their money and used it for selfish things. And now their kids are in rags. They don't have enough food. They uh, don't, uh, their house is falling apart. Why can't they just change the way that they live? Why, why does that happen? Well, it's uh, called sin. That's what it does. And um, think about this. His trouble shall return upon his own head, David says. 
It always comes back. It's, it's like the guy in Australia that got a new boomerang and he liked to kill himself throwing the old one away. Why? Because it kept coming back. And that's what sin always does. It's like a boomerang. Well, I'll just do a little bit here and, and I'll do it toward them and I'll be free. And that, well, here it comes and it uh, clobbers us. And it uh, says it comes on his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. You think you're a big dog daddy and then look what happens. And this is the fate of almost every drug lord. They may be rich for a while. They may be popular and famous for a while. But it always comes back on them, doesn't it? Look at the way criminals live in the inner city. Look at the ones that are in prison even and all of that. They never intended for it to come back on them. They never thought it would hurt them. They never thought it would do harm to their family. They never thought it would make their mama cry. They never saw it coming. And that's what David is saying. It's all a setup. The falsehood, the lies that come from the enemy. It's just horrible. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy and boy is he I come that they may have life and have it abundantly Romans chapter 118 tells us another reason why it never works out it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth what do they get for it Oh, I'm going to be free. I'll do whatever I want. Nobody will tell me what to do. And all that happens is it comes down on them. And what is it? It's the wrath of God because God hates sin. That's not what they banked on. They weren't banking on going to hell and standing before Christ one day to give an account for their lives and being sentenced to an eternity in the lake of fire. They never saw all of that coming. They were going to be free. They were going to have fun, baby. My dad said that when he uh, worked as a prison chaplain for a couple of decades... That there were men in that prison that they would talk about, hey, my parole's coming up. What are you going to do? And they would talk about who they were going to be with, what girl they were going to be with, what they were going to drink, what kind of fun they were going to have, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, what happens when all that runs out, when you run out of money, when you run out of things like that? And their idea was, we'll just rob another liquor store, and if we get away with it, whoopee, we've got more money, and if we get caught, they can't do any worse than bring me back here, and I get three hots and a, uh, and a cot. And I know how it all works, and that's the cycle of their life. And somewhere, you may not care about the prisoners in Lexington or wherever they may be, but there's a mama somewhere crying over that boy. There's somebody that's hurt. There's a wife that's been abandoned by that man. There are children who are growing up without a father because of that, and we ought to have compassion on them, and God bless Prison Fellowship and Samaritan's Purse and others who remembers to help those children. But they're just reaping what they sow. And they've been warned. And they know better than all of this, but that's what happens. Proverbs 23, 21. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. You don't have to go very far from this building right here to see the reality of that verse. Oh, why do they live like that? Why are they in that situation? Why are they sleeping under a bridge? Well, I don't mean to be, again, harsh or cruel or anything like that. I pray for homeless people regularly. I still pray for the guy that I had last Christmas that uh, we gave out and that we ministered to. His name's Robert P. I still pray for him. 
But the truth of the matter is, if you could do away with alcohol and you could do away with drug abuse, you would go a long way into solving a lot of the problems that we have. A lot of crime and a lot of those things would go away or be reduced significantly. And uh, the Bible warns us, Solomon said, the drunken and the glutton is going to end up in poverty. They eat and drink up everything that they have. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Amazing how relevant and up-to-date the Bible is, isn't it? That's like reading the, uh, uh, that's like taking a psychology course. That's like reading the morning newspaper, isn't it? Proverbs 28, 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. He's going to have plenty of something, and it's not going to be something that he wants. He's going to have plenty of nothing, and it's going to affect his family, and it's going to affect his friends and his neighbors and all of that. It's just sad to think about that. That's why sin doesn't satisfy and then number four, why is God better? We're going to end on a positive note. Why is God better? Because David says in verse 17, in spite of all that's going on in the world, I will praise the Lord. You know, that's a conscious choice that we're going to have to make. We're going to have to make a choice that regardless of how icky and awful and terrible and disgusting it may be in the world, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus, focus on my Heavenly Father. And I'm going to give Him praise because He deserves it. Well, what about all of the stuff that's out there? You and I, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. But there is one thing we can do. We can make a choice to rejoice. We can give thanks to the Lord. We can give Him praise. We can, fuse, we can refuse to sink down into the mire of this world. And we can be lifted up and transformed because we are looking at our Heavenly Father who is better. Whatever it is that the world promises, whatever it is that the devil promises, whatever it is that looks like it is so good out there and that people are really enjoying it, I can promise you one thing. It's not what it's cracked up to be. It's going to come back on you in a horrible way. And here's the bottom line. Whatever it may be, God is always better than anything that the world has to offer you. So smile when you see that. It's an opportunity to praise God. Smile whenever you're confronted with evil and you're anger, angered about it or you see the injustice of it. It's just an opportunity to look into the face of God and see him and to see his righteousness i will praise the lord according to his righteousness he is perfect he never forgets his word he never fails he never has an ulterior motive he never lies to you he never misleads you all of his ways are truth and so we should be singing praises to the name of the lord most high so the lord is worthy of our praise and the lord is better than anything in the world and the Lord is for us, the Bible says. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, the world is not for you. Sin is not for you. The devil's not for you. Your flesh isn't for you. Your wicked, deceitful heart is not for you. But one thing you can always bank, up, bank on, whether you're at your best or at your worst, God is always for you. So the Lord is for us, and He knows us completely in our righteousness 
And he's never fooled by the accusation of the enemy. You know, David writes this psalm, and apparently people were accusing him of all kinds of things, and he felt the need to defend himself. Well, you're being accused of all kinds of things, too. The Bible says that the devil makes accusation before the throne day and night. How are you going to stand up against that? I don't even know what he's accusing you of, much less me. How am I ever going to defend myself? What if, what, what if I can't get a chance to speak up? Who's going to hear me? Well, here's the good news. The Lord Jesus stands to your defense. And with nail-scarred hands, he rebuffs the accusations of the enemy and he defends you. He'll never defend your sin, but he will defend you. He won't be faithful to your sin, but he'll be faithful to you because you belong to him. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. Well, he does because he is righteous and he still stays with you. And it's like looking at Israel. They may have been disobedient and unfaithful, but they were his disobedient and unfaithful children and he stayed with them. And the same is true for you and me today that's why the Lord is better that's why David says in spite of all of this we are to praise the Lord to give thanks to the Lord to rejoice in the Lord always this is why we are to rest in the Lord we're to trust in the Lord we're to submit to the Lord we are to follow the Lord so that he can work in us and transform us by the renewing of our minds Romans 8 31 what then shall we say to these things You know, my first thought might be, I don't know. I don't know how to answer all of the junk that's going on today. But Paul gives me the answer. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Hallelujah for that. And more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or hunger or danger or sword as it is written for your sakes we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are hupernike we are super conquerors the greek says through him who loved us for i am sure i'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord Because he is righteous and he is just and he is faithful and always worthy of our praise. In this world, you're going to find a lot of junk and a lot of sorrow and a lot of disappointment and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And you're going to watch people and be related to people that fall into sin and they go into it knowingly and willingly and gleefully only to see it come back on their own head and they fall into that pit. And there's only one answer and only one rescue for that. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's the only one who can rescue 
the perishing, as the old hymn says. And thank God that he does, because some of us were in that same ditch and that same pit, but the Lord was on our side, and the Lord delivered us out of all of our fears and out of the miry clay, and he can do it for someone else, and he can do it in our nation, and he can do it for our neighbors, and he can do it for our family members. He can do it for those that we love and we're distressed about. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He is the righteous judge. And all God's people said a hearty Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. You're not like the world. You're not like the devil. You're not like fleshly human beings. You're not like the liars and the deceivers. You're not like drugs or alcohol. You're not like pornography. You're not like immorality. You're not like any of those things because you actually do what you say you're going to do and you deliver it in truth and we can always trust on you and we can always depend upon you. Forgive us when we don't. And we're sorry that we don't. Build our faith. Strengthen us. And like the man said to Jesus, we believe, help our unbelief. And let us be found faithful in a lost and dying, messed up, crazy, nasty, immoral world. And let us shine brightly in this dark world. And may we put the spotlight on Jesus and on the gospel. And may sinners hear through us and believe the gospel and repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. And forgive us when we think that this is too much for you, too big for you to handle, that you can handle floods and red seas and all of that, but you can't handle, handle our drug problems. You can't handle the injustice in our land. You can't handle the falsehood in our land. You can't handle the transgender problem or the perversion problem. Forgive us, Lord. None of this is too difficult for you or too big for you. And one day you're going to rescue us out of all of this. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, make us to be weapons in your hands to defeat the enemy. The Bible says that you came on that Christmas day so long ago. And the reason you came was to destroy the works of the, of the devil. And we pray you would do that, whether he's working in and through us or other people that we love, destroy his works for the glory of your name and allow us to be a part of that. And we pray this, Lord, for your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ, our conquering Lord, who indeed is better than anything else. Hallelujah. Thank you for allowing us to partake of your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Let's take some time now to look at the prayer list. We've got some people grieving. We've got some people that are sick. We've got some people that have needs. And uh, you have a chance now to do the greatest thing you can do. And that is to call their name out before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a Christmas present to give them the gift of intercession. So pray for them and let the Holy Spirit guide you in any way that you might be able to comfort them, any way that you might be able to rescue them and to help them. And never give up because Jesus is Lord. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Take some time to pray. Pray for one another. You might want to pray for somebody even that is seated around you tonight and take it to the Lord in prayer, okay? And uh, when you leave, leave quietly and uh, visit when you get out into the foyer. But leave people who are here to pray, to pray as long as they want to and as long as they need to, as long as they feel that need. 
And uh, God bless you for being a praying church. I appreciate that very much. And time and eternity will reveal the battles that were won here tonight that we didn't even know about. Jesus indeed is Lord. Thank you and may the Lord bless you.